You're listening to The Beauty Debut. I'm your host, Claudia Fabian. As someone who has spent over 25 years in the beauty industry as an esthetician, makeup artist, and in professional sales, I want to share what I've learned. Allow me to be your beauty avatar and give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it's really like to work in the world of beauty. And follow me as I navigate how to age gracefully. And remember, it's never too late to make your debut. This podcast is about all things beauty inside and out. Tune in every week to hear my conversations with the amazing professionals who are working in all aspects of the beauty industry. Get the scoop on the latest trends and learn firsthand insider tips and tricks to help you look and feel your very best. I'm so happy to have you here. The Beauty Debut starts now. Richard, I want to thank you first and foremost for taking time to come and chat with me today on the Beauty Debut Podcast. And Richard, you have a 15 plus career. I think it's way more than probably even 18 years um, experience in beauty and you've won awards. You're a winning licensed esthetician in both California and beautiful Washington. And you have so much real world experience. You have helped people accomplish six figures in their business. You built your career really specializing in skincare, but you know, you really can help people that not only really focus on skincare, but lashes, waxing, hair care, salons, and you've launched a amazing platform called the Complete Spa Business Regimen, which is an online resources to help people grow and accelerate their business. And while all of that is amazing, and I want to dive into all of that, I want to take you back and like, how did Richard Merrill get started? Like what brought you to beauty in the first place? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and share a little bit of my story. And the interesting thing about the beginning is it goes way back to my childhood. Um, I remember my dad used to get really mad at me because when I was a child, I would mix my bath products to make a liquid body wash because my dad was a Dove Beauty Bar user. Um, And it made my skin dry. And I, you know, I'm a child. I didn't actually know what I was doing or why I was doing it. But in my mind, a dry piece of soap made my skin dry. So I would mix it with my Johnson & Johnson Moutier shampoo and call it body wash or my Mr. Bubbles because it was that long ago. Um, (laughs) And, and you know, at, at that age, you don't realize that that is the beginning of something very serious. And then it kind of grew into when I had a babysitter. I, she would have me, and this is hilarious to me now, but then it was it was just everyday life. But I had a babysitter who had congestion on her back, and she would pay me a dollar a pimple. And I was like seven, oh my eight. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> you know who who knew that that was going to be an entrepreneurial skill later in life? And, and I had a weird fascination with it, which if you talk to any esthetician out there, we all have a weird fascination with extracting comedones. Yeah. Um, so it started really young for me without even realizing what was happening. And then I went through this interesting journey as a teenager, you know, growing up in a smaller town, being one of a handful of openly gay individuals. Um, I went through this phase in my life in the early teenage years, all the way to early adult years, 
where I didn't want to do anything stereotypically gay. So makeup artist was out, cosmetologist was out. I didn't know what an esthetician was until the day I enrolled in the school. Um, so all those career choices were really not ones I was even going to consider mm -hmm. because just with the environment of how I grew up, I didn't want a stereotypical gay boy job mm -hmm. um, because of all the struggles. And I actually started off working towards becoming an early childhood educator because I had always had this kind of vision of wanting to help people. And I thought that was going to be the way that I would help them is through education and starting with the young people to help the next generation. And, you know, life happens. And I started, did start school for that actually. And at the time that I started college in Los Angeles County, there was a huge mass firing of any openly gay teachers, coaches, and I was like, okay, well, I'm too rowdy to try to have that fight with people. Uh, so I'm just going to have to figure out a new career choice. And so life, you know, life will always push you where you're meant to be. You, the more you resist following that natural path, the longer it takes to get where you're going. Um, but my first kind of introduction into really selling beauty products was actually in direct sales. My aunt was a Mary Kay rep and I helped her sell her products. I didn't join right away, but I saw how easy it was to make a living selling con consumable beauty products that people are repurchasing and using on a regular basis. And I started looking at it from a business perspective. And then my career really took off in the direct sales arena. And I got a lot of sales training and a lot of experience working with the consumer directly that evolved over time, which led me to working at the benefit cosmetics counter, where I was promoted within 30 days to counter manager based on my sales. And that was kind of just the start of this career is it just it was always sales. Um, but for me, it wasn't sales. It was me recommending things to help people feel and look their best. And that was how I approached it. And that's why I've always done really well, because it wasn't ever about the dollar for me. It was literally always about just helping people feel good. Well, and then you kind of I, fast forward. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, that the first part of your, your story and how you got started, I want to just impress upon people that are listening. It is just so ingrained, like you have that passion and it was planted in you even before you really knew what that meant. And, you know, I just, I find that really fascinating and inspiring. And, you know, I also wanted to kind of just dive into a little bit about what you said about, you know, being openly gay and, and growing up in a smaller community where you grew up and just really kind of resisting, you know, you didn't want to be stereotyped, right? You didn't want to feel mm -hmm. like, oh, yes, of course he's going to go do that because he's gay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that must have been so hard for you because, you know, you had that drive and passion leaning towards beauty probably, and you just kind of resisted a little bit because of that, which can you expand upon that and what that felt like for you and how looking back, you now see that time in your life? So... I'm a very resilient individual. Um, so for me, when I look back on that time, I, when I was in the midst of living in that time, I just felt like I was doing what I had to do to survive. Mm. Um, so it wasn't necessarily 
a big wow moment to me until later when I was looking back. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's very common for a lot of um, people that don't feel like part of the situation around them, right? You know, Mm -hmm. especially if you think back to high school and all the cliques and you got the cool kids and you got the not so cool kids and then you got the eccentric kids. And, And I was really blessed though to be able to kind of flow through all the different cliques And it gave me this perspective of human interaction. And I just, at some point through all of that, the thing, the best skill I got out of that that I'm most grateful for is my resilience. But that resilience is really just a, I don't absorb other people's opinions Mm. or um, perspectives. Mm. I respect people's differences. So I'll listen and and there are times where I will try to defend or or expand somebody's horizons through conversation but I didn't attach myself to the outcomes of things and I didn't attach myself to other people's belief systems because I just kind of always danced to the beat of my own drum and that really protected me I think Um, I wouldn't have the same story today if I didn't have that. And I don't think that's anything that I honed. I don't think that's anything I even consciously built. I think that was just the product of my environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so important to to know, I think, especially when you think about people who might be listening today, or you think about our younger generation entering this industry, when you are met with constant things that hold you down or add weight to your everyday, it makes it really difficult to wake up and be excited and be passionate. And that's one thing that I have always been. I wake up, I go to sleep, I let whatever happened in the day go, I address it within my own little ritual. And then I wake up the next day and start new. Mm. I don't let what happened yesterday affect me today. Um, And I think that the sooner we can learn to do that, the better we are off in life. And it's a hard, it's hard, right? It's it's so easy for me to say now as somebody who's on the other side of that, Mm -hmm. but it really is why it's important to have mentors in your life and people you can call on and talk to. And I have been blessed through my whole life to have somebody, it's not always been the same somebody, but it's always been somebody that I could call on, talk to, and sometimes even just cry and vent. You know, that Mm -hmm. simple behavior is a way of addressing what's going on. And so I've been blessed that way to have somebody in my life, um, which is where I think ultimately led me to where I am today in this ability to really help others and this passion to really help others came from me looking back on, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the village of people that have been in my life throughout my life. It has, it, you know, I didn't get here by myself. I'm not an independent self-made individual I'm here because of the work and support and love of a lot of people um and and I made it a point to surround myself with those people and let go of the people that weren't part of that community and tribe that's beautiful and I think that um you know everything you said you know definitely resonates with me and I know it'll resonate with you know people that are listening because we all have our struggles but it's really in how you um look at it and I just, I mean, I'm blown away. I love everything that you just said. And I want to kind of also go into um, kind of pivot back to your counter days at Benefit. And I want to ask a question that, um, I don't know, I've always just, I've observed and I just kind of want to see if you can 
cop to this being true as a man. Okay. And especially like, well, mm-hmm. not especially, but a gay man working behind a counter. Do you find like women just automatically believe and want to hear you compliment them and will buy whatever you say because you're a gay man? I think that there is an advantage <laughs> to that. I think that women, women typically want the some sort of validation of what they're doing. And I think that's why, you know, all my girlfriends, they, that's why us gay best friends exist. That's why that's that stereotypical kind of statement, right? We're the ones that are going to take you shopping. We're the ones that can tell you the truth when it doesn't look good. And, and I think that that kind of thought process out in our world does give a gay male a leading edge in this industry. But what's really also kind of interesting in that same breath and that same concept and that same thought process is men in general, whether you're gay or straight in the aesthetics industry, actually face a lot of issue because, you know, when you start to think of services that are intimate services like Brazilians or body treatments, the whole conversation changes because mm-hmm. gay, straight, or indifferent, I'm still a male in a treatment room in an intimate space with a female. And so there's that, that ability to kind of make that initial connection on a really superficial level. But then when you start to really get into the intimate things that give us the power to really create change in our client's life, there's a lot of things that are create a discomfort that we have to actively face as men in this industry. Um, Even when you talk about hiring, you know, I talk to estheticians, male estheticians on a regular basis still today who are concerned about their ability to be successful, are concerned about their ability to get employment because it's everybody has this back of the mind concern that clients aren't going to buy from us or feel comfortable with us. But I will tell you the first six months out of school, I did more Brazilians than anything else to the point where I made the choice to stop doing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted like, to do facials. Yeah. I don't need to be seeing that every day. Okay. Move on. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, there's a market and I think one of the things I focus on when I work with a client is what do you want to do? What are you passionate about? Stop looking at trends. Stop looking at what everybody else is telling you what to do. What are you passionate about? What's your personal story? For me, my skincare regimen is my moment in the bathroom where it's just me in the mirror having a one-on-one and unwinding from the day or starting my day off strong. So, that's what I impart upon to my clients is creating this time for you on the calendar every morning and every night. And so that's why I have a focus in skincare is I create that ritual with my clients and then I support that ritual through the treatments in the, in the treatment room. But that's my journey and that's what I do. And I create that experience that way. People that are wax specialists or lash specialists, you are creating a very specific service and you can create a lucrative business with one service. I think so often in our industry, we get so overwhelmed with all the things you can do because there are a million different ways to go in this industry, which is a blessing and a curse because you can get really distracted by it. So as a man, it's been really important. Oh yeah. I loved your point about men in the industry, you know, as a female working in beauty for a long time, I, you know, I guess I never really thought about that, but I remember 
working at a spa and we did have some male massage therapists. And of course, when the receptionist, you know, would book the appointment, they would have to ask, are you okay with, or do you have a preference, you know, male or female? And a lot of times they would lose the appointment because women or even men that were booking appointments felt more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess that probably is something that um, men that want to be estheticians, massage therapists, what have you, um, face that maybe we just don't really talk about as much. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, not only do we not talk about it, but I think it's, it's, it's one of those uncomfortable conversations in our industry. And, mm-hmm. and especially in today's climate, we're having uncomfortable conversations. We're talking about things to improve the overall equality of everybody in our communities. And I think that a lot of it is just, it's thought processes based on an unknown of this could happen. Um, Or there's this, you know, there's that effect too with social media. Now when somebody posts something on social media, if you watch the comment threads, I can say something and a hundred people will say they've had a similar experience, whether it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of driven attention, Mm -hmm. it, it, it subconsciously creates things that happen, whether we are knowingly doing them or not. And so for us that are us male practitioners that are entering this industry, we really have to just be conscious of it, be compassionate to it. You know, we do work in an intimate industry. That's the facts. That's the reality. But we are absolutely capable of building strong businesses. Um, And there are tons of male practitioners that are successful. So I want to make sure that point is very clear. But, you know, there's something that you're going to have to overcome in your in, in your career. And even as female practitioners, Oh, there are things that females have to come overcome that us as men don't. Mm-hmm. They're different, you know, working with male clients. Mm-hmm. For you, working with a male client is not the same as working with a male client for me. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't have the inherent thought processes that you have. And again, it goes back to that same conversation. When you go into some of these Facebook groups with professionals, they're like, nope, I don't do men because of all the things I see in these groups, I'm not even opening that door. And that's a fair assessment, right? Right. Yeah. But it allows you to really hone in on who your target audience is, who you want to help and how you want to help them. I love that. That's, that's such a great point. I'm so glad that you brought that forward and that we're talking about it because a big part of the podcast is I, I do want to talk about the real issues that happen in the beauty industry. And that for sure is, is one of them. So thank you so much for sharing and for just being so open about that. I really appreciate that my pleasure you know we the only way we can all grow and the goal my goal is always to grow all of us is to have conversations and be aware awareness is the first step to creating change yeah and so the more we talk about these things the better they get because the more aware we are the more in control of our actions we become mm-hmm. and how long then were you practicing as you know your own Did you work for spas or did you uh, go right into like your own practice as an esthetician um, in the beginning? Like, I know you mentioned you had mentors along the way. So what was that like for you? So I actually stayed in the kind of retail direct sales side of things and worked my way up to the executive level until 2009. Okay. Um, I registered for aesthetic school and 
what what happened is I actually went to my very first spa. I went to the Red the Red Door Spa in Market Street in San Francisco. And every service that I had, the the practitioner was like, are you in this industry? And I was like, well, kind of. I'm in the retail side of it, but I'm not in the service side of it. And they're like, are you an esthetician? And I'm like, as to what? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I, I had no... Uh, no concept of what an esthetician could be, would be. I only knew of a cosmetologist and I was adamant I was never going to do hair. Um, that was one thing I was very clear on and there was no, it was not up for discussion. Um, but that was where I got introduced to the term esthetician was at a spa where I was receiving services. And I literally called Marinello School of Beauties while I was still in San Francisco. Um, and I and I scheduled an appointment for one, two days after I got back from that trip and I was registered and enrolled in the seven days. Wow. But because I was doing, because I was already doing retail independent business work, I was actually with Avon at the time um, because I already had a stream of clientele. I already had a stream of business kind of in the beauty world working from that angle. I went straight from school into, you know, I started, and here's the point I like to make that's very important. I started taking clients at school, like the school was my first job. I worked on my marketing. I worked on my ability to book appointments. I worked on my ability to work on client retention. I did all of those things while I was in school to practice then so that when I entered into the real world as a licensed professional, I had trackable data to show because I thought I was going to start by taking a job, but I ultimately, once I got licensed, I went into my own rented location. Um, but if it wasn't for me taking that time while in school to really treat school like it was already my business, I wouldn't have had the experience, the knowledge and the know-how to be successful right out of school, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing to realize is if you're in school, the expectation is when you mess up, you're in school. That's the best place to mess up. So take full advantage of that where you're in a controlled environment where somebody can jump in and help you. Um, I think that schools in our industry nationwide spend such a fo large focus on getting you prepped for the test that they really, we have a downfall in getting you prepared for the business and for the success side of things. Um, and so I really encourage students, take the initiative upon yourself to start putting those skills into place as soon as possible. Because if you can walk out of school and into an interview and say, I had a 30% retention rate with my clients and they rebooked and my average retail sales in school were $200 a day. You know, those are things that show your competency of how to operate and be successful. And those kinds of things will set you aside from people who've been practicing 20 years that aren't doing that. Right. No, I agree. I think that is lacking in um, aesthetic school, beauty schools in general is the business side, how to do your taxes, how to establish yourself as an LLC, you know, what, you know, what are the things you're going to need to know to really be successful in running your own business. And, you know, that's, that's the missing link that, and that's kind of where I mm -hmm. guess you come in, you know, with your consulting, helping people really pivot their business. But I wanted to touch on one thing, you know, you said that you worked, you know, with Mary Kay, Avon, and then, you know, I know you worked, um, you had your retail experience um, behind the counter. You know, it's kind of interesting. I'm also, you know, doing a podcast episode about 
multi-level marketing and its place, or you know, maybe it's not having a place in the professional side of beauty. And I know there's a lot of people that are anti MLM, right? Because they feel like, mm-hmm. you know, here I am, I got my license to be a cosmetologist or an esthetician, what have you. And then the mom down the street can, you know, kind of step on my toes in a sense and sell product or, you know, mm-hmm. pretend to be an expert. What's your take on that out of curiosity now that you've been on both sides? Just a kind of a little <laughs> side note. It's so interesting that you bring that up because I literally just had a really long conversation about this in a group yesterday Um, because it's something that I'm actually really passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I started off at the very bottom as an independent rep, but I worked all the way up into executive levels with direct sales. So I've seen manufacturing costs, I've seen compensation structures, and I've helped build compensation structures for beauty-based direct sales companies. And the first myth I want to dispel and that I work on regularly to dispel is there is a huge difference between a direct sales brand and a multi-level marketing brand. A direct sales brand is a brand that uses a consumer to sell to other consumers. So it is a distribution model. It has nothing to do with formulations. It has nothing to do with products. It is just the distribution sales model. A multi-level marketing model is the payment for recruiting services. There's no, there's no requirement to sell a tangible good. It's all about selling the recruitment offer. So how those are approached are very different. The, peop- the thing that people are most frustrated with is multi-level marketing because it has nothing to do with a product really. It's all about join my team and make money when you grow your team. Mm-hmm. Direct sales Direct sales as a requirement to even be labeled direct sales is required that the primary revenue is generated through the sale of a a tangible good. Mm -hmm. So in order to support those independent contractors that are doing that, these brands create a replicatable business model. And that replicatable business model is founded around creating confidence in these stay-at-home moms or typically people who are financially lacking and trying to do better for themselves. So in that business structure, you're going to have people that are going to go the extra mile. They're going to be obnoxious. They're going to be in your face. They're going to be because they are trying to reach goals the same way we're trying to reach goals as licensed professionals, when you're a licensed professional, you have monthly sales goals. The difference is, is you're responsible to yourself as a licensed professional in a treatment room. These people are responsible to uplines. These people are responsible. Direct sellers are responsible to other people. And so it creates a real need and a real community to support people. And sometimes, you know, it has a bad rap because of that obnoxiousness that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. But us as professionals, one thing I like to really make a very clear point, I would not be standing here as a licensed professional if it was not for my experience in direct sales and the financial freedom that it did actually provide me. I sold $160,000 in six months standing on a street corner in South Central Los Angeles selling dollar lipsticks and eyeliners from Avon. That was how I paid for my aesthetic school. Mm. So 
when my aesthetic school came, I obviously ditched that product and got to a professional line and to a better formulated line. But that was where my level of knowledge was at that point in my life and at that point in my career. And I wish that professionals would really stop, take a step back and realize you don't know that person's story. You don't know why they're working so hard to make that money. So instead of us bashing them all the time, I feel we have to meet them with a little bit of compassion because they do have the same entrepreneurial spirit and reasoning as we do. They just are where they are in their journey. Well, that's a good perspective. It's a different perspective for sure. And I think that, you know, when I get on some of those aesthetic platforms, you know, there's a, they really like bash these, you know, multi-level marketing and Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it, direct sales companies that sell skincare and makeup because they really feel it's impeding upon them and their business. So I wanted to, you know, obviously bring this up on the podcast because it's a hot topic in beauty and it's good that we're getting your perspective um, because the other episode that I had is a totally different perspective. So it's good to hear both sides. And one thing I want to talk about on Taiwo, I want to address the impeding on my business mentality. Retail, whether it's Sephora, Ulta, um, any of those Beauty Planet style stores, whether it's direct sales, whether it's Amazon, those are all distribution models. They're all ways to make money. The reality is, is that none of them are going to go away. So the reality is, is that the only impact that those distribution channels have on your business is the control that you give up by spending time being frustrated with the fact that they exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The reality is, is there's a spa right next door to you that is competition that is possibly way more competition to you than the mom down the street. But we spend so much of our time being frustrated by trying to disallow somebody to make a living for themselves because of an education that we have pers- that we have received, right? So our, our stance as licensed estheticians and the thing that we always want to argue that makes us better than right. is I went to school, I paid this money. Right. And the example I gave in the conversation yesterday is what is the difference if you were to take this out of the beauty industry for a moment and let's talk technology. You have somebody who has a PhD in technology engineering, they're, you know, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for their education. And then you have a 16-year-old kid who just got on the internet and learned all those same things and is making $6 billion a year. Is that person with a PhD actually better than the 16-year-old kid just because the 16-year-old kid figured it out without education are we as mad at that six are we as mad at that 16 year old kid on youtube no well maybe just a little bit that we didn't think of it first (laughs) well that's jealousy that's different (laughs) we're not touching on that today but do you see my point my point is is that absolutely absolutely 
Yeah. Well, the only frustration, the only thing we really lose in all of that conversation is the time invested in growing ourselves. And so I really would love to see this conversation kind of go away because the reality is, is if you are as confident in your ingredients, if you are as confident in your sales process and in your brand as you are trying to portray in your argument, then that stay at home mom that is selling $1,500 a month in auto ship products is no, it's no sweat off your back. And at the end of the day, the price point of those products are not the clients you want anyway. So they're not even competition. It's different. It's a whole different business model. Well, you know, I, I, I think all your points are really valid and it's really valid in the point that I want to bring forward and we can kind of shift into what you do to help people because, you know, I think that when you're not doing well, so you're an esthetician, you know, you have your practice and Mm-hmm. I think those frustrations and those attacks come because they are not feeling successful in a sense. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like blaming outside sources for your lack of success or achieving what you thought you were going to be achieving when you became an esthetician. Absolutely. It's very easy to kind of, you know, play that blame game. And mm-hmm. I've seen it a lot. You know, I've seen them, you know, blame Amazon or blame, you know, they blame mm-hmm. a lot of other external factors rather than focusing on, okay, you can't control that, but what you can control is your one-on-one time with your guest and making that the best experience because people inevitably are buying the experience and they're buying from you, a person that they have connected with. And I think a big miss for a lot of these estheticians, and I'm sure you'll touch on this, is the retail side, is the whole experience side of running their whole business. So That kind of brings you into the picture yet again. So when did you decide then to pivot from your own practice of aesthetics into consulting and to helping others reach the level of success that you were able to do, achieving six figures? Um, And I think, you know, I want to preface all this by saying your background is really ideal for success because you've been in retail, you've been in direct sales. And you've also done the professional side of business. So you're like a triple threat. So you really can help pull from all of that experience and really help boost the professionals that you're working with to kind of see things through a different lens. So when did you decide to make that transition? Well, before I answer that question, I'm going to add a few more milestones into the story that will help kind of sum that up. (laughs) I also... In 2014-15, I actually became an instructor for aesthetics at Marinello Schools of Beauty, um, which is the school I graduated from. Mm -hmm. So I started working in education, oddly enough, if we think back to the beginning of my adult years where I thought I was going to be in education, here I am. Um, And in that experience, I had 100% pass rate with my students at State Board, and they were all placed within two weeks or opening their own business. But the thing that I realized I was doing very differently in that school setting was I was talking about business. I was making them track their appointments. I was making them market. I was preparing them for real world experience. And that's something that didn't and doesn't exist in most educational structures. But when that school closed, I had to take my experience, my background and keep going. And in my time as being an educator, I was introduced to a platform, which is a national association for licensed law professionals that allowed me 
to bring my students there, but it actually became my next big platform where I actually traveled the country speaking and talking with not only the brand owners and the brands working as the vice president of sales and marketing, but also working with licensed estheticians around the country in different demographics and, and really hearing the things that they were struggling with. And that's how I got into the consulting side of things. It was when I started traveling and actually gathering real life data across the country and realizing that we were all kind of going through the same thing and that the only real results or the real, only real solutions that existed were all geared towards destination and resort spas, which meant they were priced out of the independent or small salon day spa professional. Mm -hmm. I really saw a niche that said, hey, these are the people that actually need the most help. They don't have the multi-million dollar budget for marketing. They don't have the education backgrounds always to really succeed, you know, and the other thing that I noticed in that experience is that it was people, the people that were doing the best in this industry were people that this was their second career. The people that were coming into aesthetics with some background of business are the people that I noticed did the best. And I think that that's because they didn't need the business training, mm. um, but it creates a really unfair opportunity when you get into the beauty school recruiters office and they're like, Oh yeah, it's a trillion dollar industry. You're going to make all this money. You're going to be great. You're going to be fabulous. Well, yeah. If you have the business background or the support or access to, and that's where Richard Merrill consulting and the complete spa business regimen came from was really wanting to give affordable access to fundamental business skills. And the best way to succeed in this business is retail and my whole background has really been focused on retail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Like you really were just, you know, just life was preparing you for this because it, you really have all of that experience with all these different avenues of sales, plus being a licensed esthetician and having the education background and traveling and getting to kind of see the whole world of beauty really gives your consulting, I think, like a nice edge, which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because you really bring to the table such a unique perspective um, to your consulting. So with that said, what do you see then, I think you kind of touched on this already, but what are the common mistakes then you're seeing, you know, estheticians, spa professionals, let's just cap it at that, making in their business? So the number one thing that I talk about on a regular basis and consistently in a, in, and I hope to start seeing a greater shift in our industry is people creating independent brands versus regurgitating other brands. Mm, okay. So a lot of independent salon and spa practitioners are unable to build a strong following because they are not speaking from their brand experience they are regurgitating the education that they're getting from the brand that they carry in their business, whether that be on social media, whether that be in the treatment room, however that is displayed in your business, that's what we're seeing across the country, which to, to kind of pop a little funny here is really funny to me because the number one complaint that we have about direct sellers is that they're not actually educated. They're just regurgitating the data, but so many estheticians do the same thing. They just do it with a pro brand. Interesting. Um, okay. I, so I'm, I always I'm, find I'm that I'm learning. I'm digging kind of what you're saying here. So I'm just kind of taking it in. <laughs> I, 
I always find that correlation really funny. And I have that perspective because I've been on both sides. Um, but, you know, I'm frustrated as an esthetician because this person down the street is just selling what they've been told to sell. But how well do you know the ingredients and the products that you're using? Can you, without looking at the tech manual, tell me that XYZ ingredient is in there because I'm allergic to it? Or do you still have to always reference back to that document? And that's where confidence comes through. So that's the next big mistake I see is people are unable to convey the confidence in their business because of this lack of an independent, authentic brand that is their own, and they not, they're not sharing their brand story. Um, so that there's a disconnect in that client experience because you're just kind of robotically going through, because a facial is a facial. We cleanse, we exfoliate, you know, the steps don't really change. It's that interaction with the client that makes each service so unique. It's the way we touch our clients. It's the way we emote with our clients. And all of that gets real confidently conveyed the more knowledge we have, the more experience we have. But the thing is, you have to take all, all of that confidence has to come across in a way that the customer can understand. And a customer is only really concerned about three things. Does it smell good? Does it work? And can I afford it? Mm-hmm. So if in, if in your consultation process, you're not answering those questions and giving those questions, but you're giving them all kinds of scientific data to sound smart, you're never going to sell anything because you're over, you're speaking over your client's head. You're, you're losing them. They're rising over. Amazing so it's important advice. to be confident. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. important to be confident. It's important to be knowledgeable, but it's also very important to connect. And then third, most important thing that I think people are missing in our industry, um, which didn't become evident to me until I started traveling, is actual financial planning to prepare for the end game. I think so many professionals, I don't care if you're an employee or an owner, because the, the problem expands from everyone in the industry. But we are seeing right now in COVID, I think has brought this to the forefront of people's minds. How financially prepared are you in this industry right now if an emergency were to happen to succeed and stay going? Mm -hmm. And the answer is clearly and definitively, you're not prepared. And it's because you spend every day, every waking moment doing busy work to get your business going, but you're not taking the fruits of that labor and putting it into a plan and you're not tracking your results. You don't know why your social media is doing well or why it's not doing well. You don't know why your emails aren't tracking. You are not financially planning for emergencies with some kind of financial expert, whether that's investing money for retirement, whether that's investing into a buy-sell agreement so you have an exit strategy that you're working towards to actually be able to build a brand that has value. Um, and these are, this is the end part of my course and my coaching. You know, I, I talk about all the fun stuff in the beginning, getting that authentic brand set up, getting your marketing strategy, getting your client experience, because that's the stuff you want to know right now. That's the thing you care about, right? But I finish out the conversation with that strategy because at the end of the day, I got 2017 business of the year presented by universal companies because of my business plan. Mm -hmm. 
that that was what I submitted to get that award and that accolade. And one of the things that they told me that after speaking with people on that panel is they didn't even get a lot of submissions because people just didn't have them available to even submit. Um, and that that group that made huge concern for me. And it was at that contest kind of period in my life where I realized I really needed to step up and be the next generation leader because I realized we have a lot of people 60 plus in our industry that cannot retire. That is not, that is not economically sound. Mm -hmm. You know, there has to be, you know, and these mentor, these should be people that are in the mentoring phase. It shouldn't be a 36 year old that is the mentor. I should still be working with a mentor, but I've been in three car accidents and working in a treatment room just isn't in the cards for me anymore. Mm -hmm. But nobody taught me how to financially prepare for an emergency. So I wasn't prepared to be out of the treatment room and I hurt myself to try to stay in the treatment room physically mm -hmm. because I loved it so much. But it wasn't because I loved it so much. It was because this is my world. This is what I do. This is who I am. And then I realized, wait, that's what everybody is saying. They are literally working until their final days because they didn't put anything in place to create a brand that is valuable enough to sell or to create a retirement plan that they could actually walk away from the business and enjoy the later years. Wow. So these are the conversations that I'm having. That's amazing. And I think you've already answered the question as why should somebody get a consultant? I think you kind of just nailed it on the head with what you just said. It's just so important that no matter where you are in your business, it's important to have a consultant, someone to really kind of come in, don't you think, with clean eyes um, and, and see maybe what you're not seeing because you're in it every single day. And you're, you may feel like you're in a rut or you're not growing as quickly. And, you know, I think it's such um, a smart and brave thing to do is to own up to that. Maybe you don't have all the answers and to seek help. I think that's a real sign of strength and a very smart thing to do. I, I would agree with what you said, but I would also add that our businesses are, we, what do we refer to them? They're our babies. Mm -hmm. Well, babies are something that we are emotionally connected to and if you're a mom, you know, if something happens to your baby, you turn into mama bear to protect it. When you work with a consultant, my job is to look and make sure that you're doing the actions to actually succeed. And my job is to challenge you and push you outside of your comfort zones. And if, if you're trying to do that on your own, you will, tell, you will naturally go into a defense mechanism to defend and justify the behaviors that you're doing versus even giving yourself the opportunity to try something new. And that's the importance of working with a mentor is we're gonna give you a hug, we're gonna let you cry through it, we're gonna let you cuss through it, but we're still gonna push you to do more and be more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's really important that when you connect with a consultant, or a mentor that it's somebody you trust. It has to be somebody that you have a rapport with or they're gonna give you all their best kept secrets and you're not gonna implement any of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's a real understanding that has to happen that you are going to let somebody in 
on a very intimate level, the way that your clients let you into their lives for their skincare regimen and their beauty needs, a consultant is going to come into your life in an intimate way and really turn everything up upside down. But it's with the intention to make you the best possible business with the highest value for the greatest success. Now with that, is there, you know, when, when people contact you to consult with, um, you know, to possibly hire you, are there any people that you won't work with? Like, do you kind of say no to people? Is there like anyone that you just won't like this? What type of person, I guess, would you not want to work with? Or is that, does that person even exist? So for me, I typically, I focus on the independent practitioner and the small baseball practitioner, the person with like three to seven treatment rooms. I don't work with the resort spas, the big spas. Um, there are resources out there for them. But when you look at my niche and who I work with, I will tell you I have fired clients because they don't do the work. I am not here to make money off of somebody that's not actually benefiting. And I have had conversations with multiple clients where I have had to say, I love your drive. I love your passion. I love your vision. But you are not doing the work. So if you come to a consultant with the expectation that they are going to fix everything for you and you don't have to do anything to see the results, you're not going to be a fit. And I think that's the biggest misconception people come to me with is that they're going to pay me a fee and I'm just going to wave a magic wand and their business is going to be a six figure business. Mm. No, no, you still have to do the work. It's your brand. It's your business and nobody is going to be able to represent your brand better than you. My job is to facilitate the experience and the knowledge so that you're doing it confidently and consistently and tweaking the things and letting go of the things that don't actually work. My job is not to fix your broken system in the sense that I'm not going to do the work for you. My job is to help you get the tools to do the work better and be more productive with what you're doing. So I think that's important to know. Um, but that's also why I created the online course. The individuals that just want to do it their own and don't want to listen still see success by taking the online course. It's a low, it's a low cost initiative, initiative way. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, people grow through the system. So as they're going through the online course, they get stuck and they realize, okay, I need to make that accountability call. I need to bounce some ideas off of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so I have a solution for those people. Um, and really what it boils down to is I'm going to be as committed to your business as you are. I love that. So I'm, you know, this whole conversation has literally, I'm, and I'm not just saying this to you, Richard, it has given me goosebumps. Like your passion and I don't know, you're just, your drive. Like I almost wish that I had a business that I could like, um, you know, hire you for to come in and help me because just through your conversation, I mean, I look back at when I had my own practice, I had it for a couple of years. I, I, I could see now like all the mistakes I was making and, you know, where I, the pitfalls for me were. And I wish at that time that I would have consulted with somebody that does what you do because it really would have made all the difference. Um, in planning, because I'm not, I was never good at that financial stuff. Um, and I know that's such an important aspect. And I'm willing to admit that about myself. And mm. I think that's so important when you work for yourself. But again, nobody really tells you that like, oh, you're going to work for yourself, you're going to make so much more money. You know, they don't, 
you don't you go into it with like rose colored glasses and you don't really think absolutely about all the unfun stuff like taxes and financial planning and oh boring well and you know what's most interesting to me about that is not only do we not think about it but when we get into business and we're actually doing it there's this I don't understand, and I, I don't understand it. So if somebody out there wants to share your perspective on this, there's this resistance to delegate it too that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my business. It's my responsibility. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, even if it's wrong. And I don't want anybody else's help is a real strong mm-hmm. trend out there. And that's when I can't fully grasp, you know, delegating the things that you're not strong at is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And I think for so long, somewhere along the way, there was a message put out that says, if you can't do it all yourself and be superwoman or Superman, then you're not successful. No, no. If you look at the best top business owners and the most successful people in the world, they have teams of people around them, not one or two people. They have teams, giant teams. So finding a way to delegate the things that suck the joy out of your life that are too difficult, too time consuming, too annoying, finding affordable ways to delegate that is going to increase your joy and your quality of life, which is actually, it's scary truth coming going to increase your productivity and make you way more money. I don't know why that's hard to understand, but that's probably the biggest thing I have to overcome with people is an investment to delegate responsibility is actually an investment in doing more and better. Such sage advice. I mean, everything you've said, I know will inspire maybe spark, even if it sparks a little bit of frustration or anger in someone, that's good, right? Because it means that you need to take a look at that for yourself Mm -hmm. and kind of ask yourself where you need to go from there and perhaps reach out to Richard or to, you know, whoever you want to have as a consultant, but so important, so important. I mean, I know that we could talk about this forever and I definitely would love to have you back on, you know, to share some more of your wisdom about retail, because I know that's, you know, really another big area that you really can help people with is improving how they're selling and the retail, but you touched on so many good nuggets in this hour that we've spent together. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for just being so open and really for just telling it like it is, because everything you said was so spot on. I mean, so spot on. I I'm, like I said, it's like, I'm, I got goosebumps from all of it. I I thank you for this opportunity. You know, I have always been the call it like I see it kind of individual. People will love me for it or hate me for it. And I'm okay with whatever you choose. One of the greatest things I learned from a mentor that isn't somebody I worked with, but watching them in their career is the Yama Van Zant once said, pain means to pay attention inward now. And When I first was young and just mad and angry at the world, I used to take that pain whenever I felt pain and I would deflect it onto anything around me. And when I first heard that, it made me realize, wait, why am I angry? Why am I offended? Why am I upset? And just that small mindset shift really allowed me to say, wait, I'm upset because I noticed that I do that. And so if you're frustrated by the things you're hearing today, if you're frustrated with the things going on in your day, 
don't don't tell yourself the negative story. Tell yourself those are the things that you're going to focus on to do better. And if you need help, get it. You can schedule a complimentary call with me. I, the first one is always free because I know sometimes we just need a call. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really wherever you're feeling that discomfort in this conversation, pay attention to that, respect that, respect your boundaries and find out how you can address it so that it gives you power, not anger. Beautiful way to end our conversation. I love it. And I could see why you're so successful. And I, I know that anyone that's listening can see that too. And, you know, they can um, obviously find you on social media through your website. And I know that, gosh, you're just going to be out there helping more and more people. And I feel so honored to have spent this time with you, Richard. Honestly, it's been really, really educational and, um, and it really opened my mind to some other perspectives. So I want to thank you for, for doing that. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to connecting with you guys at events when they get back to being open. Oh, yes. Your lips to God's ears. Let's get back. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you would rate and review and be sure to subscribe so you can get notified when the next episode goes live. To learn more about makeup, skincare, self-care, and my personal go-to products, visit thebeautydebut.com. Do you want to continue today's conversation? You can find me on Instagram at thebeautydebut and on LinkedIn at Claudia Fabian.